0: reading from psalm 46 verse 1 god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble therefore will not we fear though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea though the waters thereof roar and be troubled though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof there is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of god the holy place of the tabernacles of the most high god is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved, he uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder, he burneth the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. You may be seated.
1: With the song leader, please prepare the pitch. Uh, the starting note for 341. 341, I like to sing the first verse of this hymn. Jesus, from whom all blessings flow, great builder of thy church below, if now thy spirit move my breast, hear and fulfill thine own request. The few that truly call thee Lord and wait thy sanctifying word And thee, their utmost Savior, own, unite, and perfect them in one. Shall we sing the first verse, please? So, Jesus, from whom all blessed charge to keep, I have also written by Charles Wesley. And so I think this morning our hearts have been prepared sufficiently for this, this time, this place, here at this congregation. I bring you greetings in the name of our Lord, and also from the church at Greene County Mennonite Church. And, it, and that church was named uh, 26 years ago, and if I would have it over to do... I would suggest a different name for our congregation, and I I want to correct a little detail that I I said back here in this room, that uh, Greenville, and that's green with an E on the end, is named after war hero Nathaniel Green, and that was the part that was correct. The part that was not correct is that he was not uh, a Civil War hero, but rather a Revolutionary War hero. And so, our church name has has the name of an an American military hero. I I don't really care for that too much. The other part of our name is named after a a good man who was uh, instrumental in the Anabaptist movement. And that's okay to have that name in there, I suppose. But I think we'd be better off if we would perhaps do what Paul addressed the Corinthian church. He said, unto the church of God. That's what he called the church, the church of God. We might think it a a bit maybe prideful to have the name church of God, but isn't that who we are? And then he calls the people inside that church, inside that meeting house, as the saints. And there again, we, we shy away from that somewhat, but we're called to be saints. Jesus, from whom all blessings flow, great builder of thy church below. So, I want to give you, a, I want to thank you for the invitation here today. I do need your prayers, and I ask for your support in, in prayers and attention as we look into God's Word of this message entitled, Receiving Your Leaders with Joy. There's a lot, of, a lot of memories that go through my mind when I come to this place in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, being born here. But not having lived here very long, but having, having visited here uh, many, many times over the years. And yesterday I had a few extra moments and I, I stopped in at the Myers Cemetery. And I found the, the gravestones of, of my two, of, of my Aunt Rebecca's two sons, one who was taken at the age of 18 and the other at the age of 21. I stood there looking at those gravestones and of their late father who had, uh, who had died two weeks before the birth of his, of his son Steve and Sally, his daughter, twins there. I looked out over that, that field and I could see the church where these boys had grown up in, and I could see the house and the, the home where they grew up in, and all within seeing distance of where they are, they're not, their graves are now lying waiting the resurrection. And it had moved my heart to think about that, of all those things that have taken place. And, and they're gone. And many from this congregation, the younger ones, would not remember them anymore. But there's a day coming when all the graves will open up. And we're here, brothers and sisters, this is resurrection morning. This is not Easter morning, but it's resurrection morning. Every Sunday morning, 52 Sundays out of a year, the first day of the week is always a rec- recognition of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we don't worship on the Sabbath anymore. The Sabbath was a remembrance of, uh, of the Israelites coming across the, from out of Egypt and, and on their, starting on their way to Canaan. That's, what, that's why they kept that. You read that in Deuteronomy originally. The sixth day was to be a day of rest, but but it was changed Deuteronomy, where it says, now you keep the sixth day in remembrance of your deliverance from Egypt. Well, God's people today are not remembering deliverance from Egypt, are we? We're remembering the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, receiving your leaders with joy. I find all these words of this title here, but one of them, those one of the words... In this title is missing from this passage, but it's referred to. I think we'll read here at the beginning of this message. We will begin, we'll begin in verse 17, and we come back at the end, We'll circle back around and, and read up to verse 16, several verses there. Notice here how the mood of the congregation, the mood of the congregation, affects her ministers. Notice how the mood of of this congregation affected Timothy and Paul, and, and, and the same could apply here. We want to think about that, this message here today. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, yea, and if I be offered, that word offered there could also be poured out. If I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause, also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Notice, notice the the relationship here. One fits into the other. I joy and rejoice, and you joy and rejoice. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send both you shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort where where I know when I know your state. For I would have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. And that's not speaking of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or the state of Tennessee. That's talking about your spiritual state and and your condition before the Lord and and, and your, your life as you're living it here on this earth. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of Him, that as a son with the Father, He hath served with me in the gospel. Verse 23, Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Notice in verse 25, a five-point work of a pastor, and it's talking about this Epaphroditus, if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, yea, yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, number one companion, secondly, in labor, fellow soldier, thirdly, but your messenger and he that ministered, last of all, to my wants. So there we have brother, companion, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. Verse 26, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, I sent, sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice And sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation or honor them, honor, honor such. Verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And I, I hope to be referring to some of these verses and thoughts here as we go through this, this message. Let's look at the words here, receiving, receiving. What do we receive as believers? Now, there's at least 16 things in the New Testament that I read, and there's probably more. That we, receive from, that we receive as believers. We receive power. One of the first things that was given, Acts 1-8, and I won't refer to all the references here, but we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We receive the Word, the remission of sins, and the forgiveness of sins. We receive grace, and not only grace, but abundance of grace. In the Sunday school this morning, it was great grace. We receive the atonement, the reward, mercy, adoption of sons, Christ Jesus, the promise of internal, eternal inheritance. We receive promises. We receive the crown of life, the anointing, and the kingdom which cannot be moved. Now, there's no one here with a vehicle big enough to carry all of this stuff. When I was a younger ordained man, my wife and I went to northwestern Pennsylvania for a week of meetings. And we, we only had uh, one of one son. I guess he was still in the car seat. We had this little Honda Accord. That's what I drove around those days. And uh, I still have a Honda Accord, but it's, it's, it needs to be fixed up, and I wanted to get it fixed up and drive that around again. I'm, I'm getting that point. I'm, I'm kind of coming around again to this. But that little car was sitting out in the parking lot on Sunday evening, and when we came out of that service, the last service, there was only sitting room in that, that car. I've never before, never since been to a congregation that that literally filled up the car with things, gifts. I I guess they were to show their appreciation, not necessarily because of the job I had done, but just as as a matter of fact, that's how they did it. They probably would have done it for you if we'd have went. They filled that car up. It was full. But there's no one of us That has any vehicle big enough, brothers and sisters, that we can... All of these things that God gives to us, it's an abundance. We say we live in a land of plenty, and we do. And you live in a county of abundance, and you do. But what we receive as believers, freely we have received. And none of us have received it because we earned it or deserved it, or because of our name, because of where we come from, or because of how much we have in the bank. We have all freely received these things. They're gifts from God like James 1:17 says. The gifts that come from above, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He gives it to us all freely. They all come from above. We ought to return thanks frequently and sincerely for these great gifts that God gives to us. Receiving these gifts is not a one time thing like a, a, receiving a birthday present or a Christmas gift. These gifts are new to us daily. And our responsiveness and our reception must be ongoing. Now, we're talking about receiving here. And we're talking about how we receive things from God, which can teach us how we ought to receive our minister. Think about it. Our responsiveness and reception of the ongoing must be ongoing. Otherwise, it would become meaningless and of little value. Now, if if you're a subscriber to the New York Times or to the Washington Post, or depends what your political leanings are, you might someone else, maybe the Wall Street Journal. If you subscribe to one of those and you fail to renew your subscription, what happens? You're dropped from the mailing list, right? You no longer get it. Well, where's my Wall Street Journal today? Well, The subscription must be renewed. And so a believer who ceases renewing his commitment to Jesus Christ loses his faith and falls from grace. These gifts are given to us. It's not an event. Yes, it is an event, but it's an ongoing walk of life. It's something that we receive. It comes down like the dew that comes down from heaven. Every morning, His mercies are new to us. We need to receive them. We need to remember them. And then we have the word leaders here in this title. This is the one that I, I would probably least least prefer. Uh, leaders in the Bible, leader, leaders of the Bible, five times in the Old Testament. There was a, there was a leader named there as the leader of the Aaronites. Uh, David consulted with the leaders. But then, then it gets pretty negative here. It talks about the leaders of the captains of the camp of the king of Assyria. And Isaiah, by the time you get to Isaiah, Isaiah says, leaders, cause the people to err. And I, I'm sure you use the congregation here of not looking for a leader that is going to cause you to err. But that's, that's, that's a connotation here. The only positive reference to a leader in the Old Testament is Isaiah 55 and its prophetic statement of the coming Messiah. And that's in 55.4 where it says, Behold, I've given him for a witness to the people, a leader, and a commander to the people. And that, so that's that's the application of the Old Testament on leader. You'll find it only once in the New Testament. Actually, it's there five times, but it's 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 translated as guides four times as leader once. And every last one of them is in a negative sense. It talks about the blind leaders of the blind. That's the only time leaders is found in the King James Bible. The same word, the same Greek word, is found in Matthew 23:16, Matthew 23, 24, where it says blind guides. And uh, Acts one sixteen, in the preaching there referred to Judas, that he was a guide to them or a leader to them that took Jesus. And the final one is in Romans 2.19, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide or a leader to the blind. But I'm going to use leader this morning because that's what I was assigned to do, but tongue in cheek. Thinking more of, uh, preferring more of the term minister. And, and pastors is something that it used to not be in our vocabulary back, back when I was ordained, at least. We were not called pastors back then. Today we're called pastors. We have pastors' meetings instead of ministers' meetings, and I'm a part of all of that. But the word pastor is only found one time in the New Testament. You can look it up for yourself if you like. However, a leader and a guide and authority, a, lead, a leader, a guide, and a, and a conductor, which is another word for leader, has the authority to lead. As authority to lead. Brother Simon Schrock, in his book Servant Leadership, makes a reference to something like this that, 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 that leading is a Jesus. We learn that from Jesus. It, it's leading versus controlling. But all the eyes and all the attention, the focus, and here's why I think that we as men should maybe not be called leaders so much, is because all the eyes and attention and focus are on a leader whether he's a leader in an army, where he's a guide through a cavern, or a conductor of an orchestra. Could it be that Jesus and his apostles intentionally avoided using this term? Instead, they used terms such as foundation, the shepherd, the head of the church, that's speaking of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to the apostles and those following them, oftentimes, many times, servants, pastors once, ministers many times, shepherds several times, but indirectly. Most of the time, shepherds in the New Testament are speaking of Jesus Christ. There can only be one true leader, and that's Jesus Christ. But maybe we can say we're under shepherds, we're under leaders. We can put it that way and that can be acceptable. What about the word joy? What does joy have to do with receiving your leaders with joy? What does joy have to do with receiving your leaders, I should say? Well, brothers, joy is at the core. Joy is at the core of the Christian life and experience. Whether you show it or not, you ought to have it inside. I encourage you to show it, by the way. It's a blessing. The Christian faith is one of joy. Now, there's commonalities that the Christian, the Christianity has with other religions in beliefs and creeds and practices, but only the Christian faith has this fruit of the Spirit, joy. The opening scenes of the New Testament are marked by joy an exceeding joy. In Matthew 2.10, they they sighted the star and they were filled with exceeding joy. The response of the universe. At the works of God, in Job 38.7, the morning stars sang together. I wonder how that sounded. And all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now the angels, the inhabitants of the earth, rejoiced at the coming of the long-awaited Holy one, but most unusual was that of a babe in a womb leaping for joy at the sound of the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus that that is a very unusual but a very uh, interesting a very so, something that I wonder at, and it, it, it tells us that it happened in luke two hundred forty one and Elizabeth commented. On, on how that felt to have a babe leaping for joy in her womb. But the babe leaped for joy at the sound of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's, it's a little bit of a, of a harbinger of what was to come, of what Jesus was going to bring, what Jesus Christ would bring to this earth, joy to the world. So joy is at the core. Joy marks the path. Joy marks the path, brothers. This path. That these men will walk tonight, three coming up, one going down. They're all going down, of course, but you know what I'm talking about here. Let me tell you, brother, whether, whether, it's, whether it's Brother Joe or brother, brother Paul or Brother Daniel, joy marks the path. If, if, if you don't believe it tonight, just, just wait a little bit. And commit your life to the Lord, you will, you will find. The 70, when we return from the mission trip, were filled with joy. There is joy in the hearts of those who receive the Word of God. There is joy both in heaven and earth when a sinner repents. There is joy when brethren meet together in fellowship of the gospel. That's why there's so much noise after our church services. I think that's part of it. There's a lot of noise, a lot of, a lot of commotion. It's, it's an expression of joy in the congregation. You take a church where there's a lot of tension and strife, where people are at odds with each other, they probably won't even come to go to church together, but if they do, there won't be a lot of talk afterwards. Aren't you glad to be a child of God, a believer of Jesus, a recipient of the Holy Ghost, the source of joy? Well, joy not only marks the path, but it awaits. Joy awaits. Jesus, for the joy that was set before him. Paul finishes up with joy in the Ephesus, the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He says, I've finished my course with joy. It's awaiting. There's exceeding joy in the presence of his glory, Jude 25. Now, let's put these words together receiving your leaders with joy. My mind, and when I, when I heard about that, one of the men that is, is is going to be sitting up front here this evening, awaiting the disposition of the lot. And I heard that one of them is 25 years old. I went, my mind went back, it, it, just, it just automatically went back. 26 years ago, 26 and a half years ago, I was 24 years old and at that place, and at this stage of the process of the ordination, the anticipation of the revealing of the lot is building up. Ever since Wednesday evening, this thing was building up. Up to Wednesday evening, this whole congregation, you we were all together at one level, and you didn't know how this was going to turn out. Most of you left here Wednesday evening with a, with a different feeling than when you came in. But there's four of these brethren that went out with a totally different feeling when they came in. And so ever since that evening... This thing has been, there's an anticipation that's going on here. And by the time this thing is done tonight, if the Lord tarries, the Lord so wills, for many emotions will overflow. We hold them back now, but they will come. And, I've, and I have wondered why the tears at ordination. Why the tears at ordination? Are they tears of sorrow? Are they tears of pity? Or are they tears of joy i don 't know if you're, if your you're, if you're human has the capacity of crying when you 're joyful. I have to cry many times at in times of joy when I see my children walk in truth, when I see my sons there with their lovely godly daughter their lovely the, the, the young women that they're getting married to and i I've had the privilege of marrying both my sons that are married. I can't help it. But why all the tears? Well, I think emotions at ordinations can deeply reveal how our hearts are connected. How, how closely your heart is connected to this thing. If you do it with a straight face and just no emotion at all, it may be an indication that you really don't care that much. But emotions are okay. Our emotions, let's just, let's just keep them in check, of course. Brother Lloyd Byler is here. And uh, I think of a lot of things when I think of Lloyd and Beth. Some things are probably better not to share here. But we had a lot of, uh, we, we, we had some very, very interesting times in Kenya. And I'm not sure, Lloyds, if you, were, if you were still there when the first ordination took place there in Nakudu, where Collins Koth was ordained, the first ordination of the CBF churches. But I, I remember that there was no holding that congregation back. When, when, when the lot was revealed, there was no holding them back. There was no waiting until after services. The whole place erupted in joy. There was joy. Maybe you say, well, that was an emotional thing. Maybe it was. But there was joy involved in that. Perhaps in the assembly of the saints and ordinations, there should be singing rather than crying. Isaiah sixty-five fourteen gives us this. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart. But if you cry tonight, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. Emotions and ordinations, like I said, can reveal how close we are to it tears and joy go together. Though they that sow in tears shall reap in joy or singing. And 2 Timothy 1, 4 is an interesting verse here. The Apostle Paul says, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears. And and another another exposition of that would say, remembering thy tears, I greatly desire to see that. Paul says, "I, I, I, I remember your tears and I would like to see those tears that I might be filled with joy. But tears dry up The joy remains, tears for the event, but joy for the journey. Back to Philippians two, if you're still there. Paul in his letter commends his co-ministers of the gospel. He calls them brothers. In addition, of Timothy, in addition of Timothy, of of whom he says, fellow work, fellow labor, work fellow, minister of God. And I'm going across, across the scope of the epistles, where Paul addresses or he writes about his co-workers. He calls Tychicus, his beloved brother, faithful minister, Epaphras, in Colossians, which is not the same as the man here, a servant of Christ. He calls Titus his partner and fellow helper, but of Epaphroditus, the list of affirmation is fivefold. I have not found any other co-worker of Paul that he gives such a list of what this man means to him. And brothers, here as you're here this morning, and right now your minds are thinking you're going three ways. You're going three ways with your mind. You're thinking these three brothers. This evening, that will that will be brought down to one as it relates to the ordination. And so you're thinking of those three brothers. And I and I ask if I look at look at verse twenty-five in Philippians two, this man that is is going to be up here and goes to be ordained, is he your brother? Is he your brother? Are you his brother? Can you call him a brother? Now it goes it goes a little higher. It goes to the next level. Companion in labor. Have you labored? Do, do you as brothers and sisters of this congregation do you consider yourself a companion in labor? Are you a participant in this congregation or are you a spectator? Do you you merely hold down a bench or do you fill a bench? We can put it a lot of different ways, but are you a companion in labor? If you're going to receive this minister with joy this evening, it's going to be partially because you have been a companion in labor in this congregation. And there's a lot of people here. This is a great congregation. I'm not going to say whether it's great or not in, in you know, as far as the standing, but it's great because it's a lot of people. I think it's great otherwise, too, but that's, that judgment is not mine to make. And so you say, well, yes, a lot of people, a lot more opportunities to fill, though, a lot more opportunities, so many more opportunities that you could fill as a congregation here than if you would only be two or three. I preached the other week in a small church in the hills of West Virginia, and I looked as I walked in there the first evening, the roster said last Sunday there was 27 people, and this past Sunday there was 20 people, and I think the highest attendance of those meetings was maybe 34 people, which would have probably fit on about four or five benches here, this on each side. I really enjoy enjoy that congregation. I, I have nothing against you here, but I would probably prefer to be preaching preaching a place like that. But that's beside the point. Companion in labor, no matter whether it's small or great, we need to work together. And then he says, fellow soldier. Oh, that puts a little different picture on this thing. And Paul wasn't just using a play on words. He was trying to spin this thing in a different way. (laughs) Fellow soldier, what does that mean? Are you fellow soldiers here? Is this a congregation of fellow soldiers? Are we in a, are we in a warfare? Is there a, a prize to be won? Is there a land to be conquered? Is there a place for us to one day receive a reward? Are you in this fellow soldier, he says? It seems to me like maybe Epaphroditus, the first three, he was referring to him as a, as a brother in the congregation and the last two perhaps as a ordained minister in their congregation. And maybe, maybe the levels here should not be, maybe I shouldn't split them up here. But I see as a messenger and a minister, maybe more directed to those who are ordained to be the leaders of the congregation. Epaphroditus had been faithful in the first three, He was absolutely, filled his place very ably in the last two. Like I said, on Wednesday there were many. This morning there are three. This evening it will be one. It is the sacred duty of the church to choose from among you. The Holy Spirit is the guiding agent in prompting the members to nominate for the office at hand. Do not doubt your choice. The work of the church is much larger than this ordination. If trust in the presiding elders who receive the nominations is upheld, only you and God should ever remember whose name you placed in nomination. I don't know what the the practice is here, but if the practice here is to verbally give a name, then may God grant the ones who heard it the gift of forgetfulness. In our congregation, we have have the people write the names and put it in a box. But I have been in ordinations, and many of them, where it's given verbally. And one is not necessarily better than the other. But thinking back... Well, yes, the gift of forgetfulness. There are things that we have heard that the Hebrew writer teaches us that we should not ought not to let them slip. The things that you have heard, you ought not to let them slip. But here's one thing that presiding elders of the congregation should let slip. The names that were given from individuals to them. We don't need to remember those things. Many ordinations I've attended the past 26 years, I cannot match one single nomination to with a particular member, and that's a blessing. But God has a purpose in every voice that is given. He has a purpose in every voice that is given. Even those names who were given but not revealed to the congregation, there is a work of the Spirit going on, even in those brethren's hearts. It's a little bit like prayer. Prayer. You pray for someone and they are affected. They don't know you're praying for them. And that, that's the work. You have given the names of faithful brethren in this congregation who did not, did not have the, the, the sufficient amount to be nominated for the lot. It's done something to them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the agent to take the prayers of the saints and to do the work in the church. The same thing when you give a nomination. Brother Dave may may totally remember, never remember he ever gave that nomination. There may never anyone in this congregation ever know that that nomination was given, but that brother has been affected by that nomination. It's done something to him. That's what I believe in faith. Whatever we do in the church for the glory of God by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, it has a work, it has an effect, it does something. Do not think it is in vain. Do not think that I was off my rocker. Don't think that you were totally left field. That's not the point at all. God works this way in the church. For the three brothers into whose lap the lot has been cast, there is an eternal purpose in that. For the brother upon whom the lot will be disposed, there is a calling, a responsibility, a gift that will be incumbent upon him to fulfill but we're, we are already assuming, we are already assuming that this brother will receive the charge manfully, gracefully, and courageously. We expect, we're expecting to take up his duties and execute them faithfully. And we anticipate observing what kind of preacher he will turn out to be and what kind of pastor he will become. So the discussion back here this morning was, so when is this new brother going to preach? And I'll let, I'll let Dave explain that to the congregation. But it's an interesting thing to talk about. Should we have him preach next Sunday? Should we, should we let, it, let it go until he says, I'm ready? When should he do it? The whole congregation is going to be in anticipation. First message. How's he going to preach? But then I heard, I heard one of the brethren say that these men have been up front. They, it's not like they haven't never been up front before. So, you know a little bit what to expect. But that's, that's something we anticipate. The qu- but the question this morning is, how will you receive him? Apollos was received at Achaia in Acts 18.27 after Aquila and Priscilla. They, they, they kind of put him forward to the church. They, they, they wrote letters from Ephesus to Achaia and said, this brother is coming, and they, they urged the church there to receive him. Paul and his company were gladly received at Jerusalem in Acts 21. And Sister Phoebe, and there's, there's people that don't, don't know for sure what to do with Phoebe in the Bible. She doesn't quite fit the mold of, of our understanding of the, the place of women in the church. But here we have Phoebe nonetheless in, in Romans 16. And I don't I have, to, I have to say that I probably don't read this very often in the church, but here it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, and that, that's a sister, that's not a brother, our sister, who is a servant of the church. And I don't know how to say that, that location there, but in verse 2, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many, and of myself also. I may make a suggestion here, and don't take it too far, but I may make a suggestion that Phoebe may have been a pastor's wife. And what role does, does a pastor's wife have in the congregation? Whether she was or not, there is a good description here. And these three brothers all have wives, and I don't know who you are out there. I, I, don't, know, I don't know who I'm looking at. My wife is back there, and uh, she fits this description very well. But if you want to receive the brother, you also receive his wife. You receive her, and and she is going to be an assistant. That's in verse 2. She is going to assist her husband, who is going to assist the church, or who is going to be assisted by the church. And this, this wife, May have been the reason, one of the reasons that her, that her husband has been put into nomination. Because she has proven herself to be like this Phoebe sister. That she is just ready to do whatever is needed to do. And she is, she is a succorer. I don't know if she pass out suckers to the children at church or not. But she's a succorer, the Bible says, of many. It's, it's a place that ladies can go to and they can... And here's the thing. And so a man preaches, a man teaches. And there's a sister that is blessed about it, exceedingly blessed. But it's not, it's not appropriate for her to elbow her way through the men afterwards to find this brother and stand in front of him and say, Brother, I really, really appreciate your message. You know what she can do? She can go to his wife. And she can express that to his wife. And and, and if, if your your wife is like my wife, she will tell me about it. That's an encouragement a real blessing. Well, the church should receive her minister as Israel received her king. Let's go to 1 Kings. I was told to mind the Lord, but I also, I want to mind the Lord and the clock. And so, let's go to 1 Kings quickly here, and notice that how Solomon was received by his people. The first two anointings of kings in the, for, the, for the children of Israel and Judah, they were all one nation back then, were not so great. In fact, when, when King Saul was, was anointed, there was thunder came from the sky, and the people were f- afraid, and God was showing His displeasure at what the people had demanded. And Samuel dutifully anointed Saul to be king, but after the, after the ordination, after the anointing, there came this thunder and this, it was very clear that God was not happy and He was not pleased. He was not, this was not His, this was not his, his plan. The second ordination, or I say ordination, anointing was King David. It was King Saul, it was King David, yes, King David. And uh, that That anointing took place in secret, sort of, like, because uh, things that were going on right then, there was, the the people were not at rest, things were not at peace, and uh, finally when David was anointed to be king over all Judah and Israel, it was kind of like after the fact. It was, uh, it was something that, uh, something had kind of taken place before, but, so when it actually happened, it wasn't, but when Solomon was anointed, there was, there was There's a different story here in First Kings chapter one, verse thirty-eight and thirty-eight through forty. So Zadok the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, all the elders here of this congregation, and the Cherithites and the Pelethites went down. Pelethites, I should say, went down and called Solomon to ride upon King David's mule. And they brought him to Gihon. Now, we're not going to, we don't, we don't do these things anymore. We don't have this special mule to bring the man in. But that's what they did here. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle, and he anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet. And all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him. And the people piped with pipes, that's flutes, and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth rent with the sound of them. Question Sunday school this morning, what does it mean there? in Acts where it says that the place was shaken. And there was no conclusive answer to that. I asked the question, what does it mean here? It says the earth was rent. That, that's a pretty strong word if you look that up, that word rent. It doesn't just mean it, it, that the benches shook or that the window, windows rattled. It actually means that the earth cleaved, that there was, there was such a tremendous vibration going on here. That's how Solomon was received. And I, w- I would look at, like to look at these points here, anointed, affirmed, acknowledged, appreciated, and aided. And then I have one more. I like to apply them here. No man, no man is strong enough to absorb the responsibility. No man is prepared for the challenge. No man can grasp the change. No man can bear the load. That's why he is surrounded by his brethren. That's why you're here for. In Leviticus twenty-one ten, this is this is. Uh, Preordained even in the Old Testament, and he that is the high priest among his brethren, it says, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, that is consecrated, put on the garments, shall not uncover his head nor rend his clothes. That, that, was, the, that was the rule, that was the, that was the criteria, that was the way this meeting was to be held. It was to be a meeting where this oil is poured from among the brethren, is consecrated this man is not to tear his clothes. He's not going to say, woe is me. He's not going to say, why me? He's just going to accept it. But he's going to be among his brethren. At the time of the ordination, in future days and weeks, the level of success and susceptibility of failure will be largely dependent on the support this brother receives from his own people. This is an event here this evening. There's two things that need to happen at the event and then the rest of the things need to happen as, the, as time goes on. The event here tonight will be anoint him. And I encourage you elders here to move this evening with confidence. Brother Dave and the rest of you that are, that are assisting with this ordination. When the lot is drawn, do not draw back from proceeding. Let not personal preference cloud your vision. Permit no shadow of disappointment, but let your joy be known at the revealing of God's elect. And with grace, and with poise, and with firmness, arise, anoint him. For this is he, as Samuel did to David. And I encourage that in the ordinations. I encourage the, the, the men that are in charge of ordinations. When, when, when it is revealed that this is the man, and, and sometimes there is no lot. But when the time comes to ordain, do it with confidence. Confidence. Anoint him. Arise and anoint him for this is he. You know, God never has an oh and an ah moment in his life. We have those moments. And we probably had it Wednesday evening here in this congregation. And maybe you'll have it right after the lot is drawn. And the reason we have those moments is because something, something is revealed that we had not known how it's going to turn out. And now we know. But God knows already. And so I think as, as ministers, the congregation, we should be prepared when the lot is drawn to go ahead with it, to anoint Him. And then after the anointing, after the ordination, use the congregation we'll have the opportunity to acknowledge Him. And I have seven A's here. And I have seven A's here and if you, get, if you get A's on these seven A's, you will be well on your way to fulfilling the purpose of this message. So anoint Him and then acknowledge Him. In congregations, you have the opportunity to extend a hand of welcome and support for the new minister and his wife. Embrace the change that has taken place. Meet him. Meeting Him for the first time can be a definitive moment for you, a humbling experience for Him as you respectfully address Him as my pastor, my minister, my deacon, my bishop, etc., as the case may be. I don't know if you have the capacity to do that this evening, but I would encourage you to do so. You will have the opportunity to meet this man and his wife immediately after the ordination. You might as well just immediately embrace the change that has taken place and address him as he ought to be addressed. My minister, you are my minister. I know what those words did for me after was ordained bishop. And I have co ministers one deacon especially. You are are now my bishop, he said. I don't know how much courage and grace it took for him to say that, but I know it humbled me tremendously. Acknowledge him. Look him in the eye. It's a big congregation. It's going to take a lot of time. Maybe you say, well, I'll get him another time. Maybe you can. But whenever you meet him for the first time after the ordination, be sure to acknowledge him. My heart is here, brother. You are now my minister. You are our minister. You're the minister for my family. You're the minister for our congregation here. Acknowledge him that way. Never forget, ordination there, 24 years old, men came through. One brother came through, and it, it, it was a minister from another congregation, and actually the brother Wilmer's son-in-law. I don't remember the other faces and expressions. I remember Brother Daniel when he came up to me with his big hand and his big grin and he almost lifted me off my feet. He said, welcome, brother. I didn't expect to hear that. I I thought this was, but that's what he did and I always remember that and bless him for it. Acknowledge him. The test of endurance, then are the other, the rest of them. The event this evening is the the ordination, it's the acknowledgement, but the rest of them is going to be on on through life, affirm Him. As the Father did at the baptism of His Son, powerfully and meaningfully, the words came out of the sky, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. In Mark chapter 9, years later and months later, the Mount of Transfiguration towards the end of Jesus' ministry, again comes this voice of affirmation, this is my beloved Son, hear Him. He needs to hear it tonight. He needs to hear it in three years. That's how we rejoice with our minister. That's how we receive him with joy, affirming him again and again. Don't brag on him, but offer him words of commendation backed up with works of love. Words of commendation and works of love is an affirmation. It's good for you, it's for your good, and it's for his good. It's good for you, and it's good for him. Thirdly, accept him. Quickly make the transition to the new reality. Do not run away from him. If he was your, continue being his friend. If he enjoyed being your fishing buddy before, let him be your fishing buddy after. Ordination changes a lot of things, but it doesn't need to change your association. It gets pretty lonely if, if all the friends that we had before ordination now change their Association with us, we don't know how to do. We don't how to deal with that kind of thing, so please don't make him try to deal with that. It's nice. It's nice to tell. Uh, yes, he needs that now more than ever. Fourthly, appreciate him. Appreciate your minister. He is a presiding elder now. Under, of course, he's not ordained as a bishop here tonight. But he is still a presiding elder in this congregation. He will be taking his turn in leading out in this congregation in, 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 in whatever the capacity is under the direction of the bishop here, I, I, would, I would assume. Appreciate him. He, he needs to chair some meetings. He, he now needs to be doing some admonishing the airing. He will need to do some housekeeping duties and maintenance things around here, this Weaver Town church. You be his support, his encouragement. It's nice to tell others how you appreciate your ministers, but better yet, tell them. And the sixth one is aid him, like Aaron and Hur did for Moses, and we won't go there in Exodus 17. Beautiful, how they aided him. They helped where they could. Now the seventh one is a bit different. That's that's, that's that I have a, a titled this way: avoid negative self-talk about him. There was a lot of self-talk about Jesus' ministry. They said. We we just know him too well, Luke four twenty two. He's just like us, John six forty-two. He is too well, whatever, John one forty-six. His family is, and we know his family, Mark thirteen and Mark Mark six. Matthew thirteen, and Mark six. He's just from around here, John seven. We'll wait and see, Acts five. About Jesus and his apostles. Brothers and sisters, avoid that negative self-talk about your minister. What if he's grown up here? What if he hasn't? What if he's 25 years old? What if he isn't? What if the proving time of a minister ends at the ordination? That's why we have announcements of ordination. That's why we have all this process that we go through. When he's ordained, the proving time is over. Now is the time to accept him. Now is the time to, to, to accept him and receive him. With joy. And like I said, if you do these three things, if you, do, if you get all these A's, if you get A and all of these A's, you will be well on your way to fulfilling the purpose of this message. Anoint Him. Acknowledge Him. Affirm Him. Accept Him. Appreciate Him. Aid Him. And avoid negative self-talk about Him. That's a collusion here. Jesus, when He came to minister... And maybe I'll say this to the minister that will be ordained tonight. Prepare yourself. Not everyone is going to accept you in the same way. Jesus, when he came to minister among his people, the Bible tells us in John 1, 11, he came to his own, and his own received him not. And that's the way it was, all the way to the 40 days after the resurrection where the cloud received him out of their sight. And that's still the way it is for Jesus. Until the day where the songwriter says... When Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world His own. That's the way it will be. Jesus Christ knows how it is not to be received. And as ministers, we need to be prepared to understand that some people may or may not receive us. My encouragement this evening is receive one another, brethren. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. It's the thing Christians ought to do. Now back to Philippians 2, verses 14 to 16, in closing of this message, receiving your leaders with joy. Philippians two fourteen through 16, do all things without murmurings and disputings. That includes the ordination here tonight. Do it without murmurings and disputings. Why? That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of the crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice. Notice, it's you hold forth the word of life so that I may rejoice. It's the brethren and sisters of the congregation holding forth the word of life so that the ministers may rejoice in the day of Christ. You see, we're not only wanting you to rejoice, we want your ministers also to be able to rejoice as you are faithful, that they may rejoice in the day of Christ, that they have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So, to the three brethren, Brother Paul and, and Brother jo- Joseph and Brother Daniel, I don't know if that's in, the, that's in any kind of order or not. That's just the order that I thought of here. May God bless you as you await the decision this evening, and may God give you peace as you come to the meeting tonight. And all of us, that we could receive... the the, the gift that God gives to the church in in the form of a minister, and continue to bless those who will not be ordained this evening. Continue to receive them also with joy and work together for the cause of Christ and the church. Please pray for the message this evening, and may God bless you as you wait the will of the Lord to be revealed. I am not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know that at His right hand, stands one who is my Savior. We trust in Him. We don't understand all the things. We don't know why God is willing this and why He doesn't will that, why He plans this, why He doesn't. We only know this, that at the right hand of God, there stands a Savior interceding for us, for this congregation, for their well-being, for their good, and for His glory. Would you kneel as I pray? Heavenly Father, would you bless all the brethren, and sisters, all the young people, all the children that are here this morning, this, especially those that are part of this, this Weaver Town Church. Would your love and mercy and grace be upon them. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may your will and your work be fulfilled so that when that great and glorious day, when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ appears, appears to receive to Himself a bride, may it be a glorious church. And may this congregation be a part of that, that great church that will be united and gathered there on that great day of rapture of Jesus Christ when He comes to rapture His church. We thank You, Lord, for how You have led in the, in the direction, in, this, in the ordination so far. And we believe that you are waiting. You are anticipating just as we are to reveal to us who it will be. And so we, together, we come to seek you this evening. And may your blessing be upon Brother Dave and his co-ministers as they come this evening. Prepare to anoint the one that you have chosen. And may you bless also the brother and his wife as they come as they receive that anointing and that ordination. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, believing. Amen.